Wertes in der Kleinstadt Winden ein Junge auf mysteriöse Weise verschwunden. Die Frage ist nicht, wer die Kinder entführt hat, sondern wann. Das Ende ist der Anfang. Und der Anfang ist das Ende. Tick, tick. Du wirst alles verstehen, wenn es an der Zeit ist zu verstehen. Tick, tick. Aber jede Entscheidung für etwas ist doch immer eine Entscheidung gegen etwas. Hello and welcome to Dark, a companion podcast to the Netflix TV series. I'm Acorn. And I'm Pimi. And I'm Mergles. Shall we begin? Yes. Yes, please. Yes. yes. I miss this. We take one week off and I'm like, oh. <laughs> I know, same. Where are we? <laughs> We're happy to be back. And yeah, before so we happy. dive in, all of our usual disclaimers, this is a companion podcast and not a watch along. So you mm -hmm. definitely want to have watched the entire series before listening to our podcast. We've also chosen to run the podcast more like a discussion between friends. So we each go away with a topic for the week and we're coming together now with our notes. And so nobody has had any sneak peeks. Hopefully this will be filled with surprises and ultimately feel like for you that you're joining us in our living room for this discussion. Mm -hmm. All right. So today we're going to be talking about the missing and gone. All of the people who don't get much attention, but who are so important to the story, like the three kidnapped boys and the people that, yes, oh my gosh, PB. Are there, aren't there five missing boys? Well, technically the three for the time traveling machine, but yes, there's more. Okay. Sorry. I'm <laughs> yeah. so sorry. Um, but before we, we get started, um, any housekeeping or any mail? Um, oh, I have one bit of housekeeping. Okay. Four days ago, it was November 4th, the day Mikkel went missing. Ooh. November 4th. Oh, that's yeah. right. That's good. I have mail. Yes. Hello, I'm the mailman. Mailman. I have mail. Uh, and this is very topical mail. So I'm, Ooh. I'm excited. Okay. So this email is from Ernesto. Hi, Ernesto. Hi, Ernesto. Ernesto says, just recently binged dark in about four days. I could Ooh. not stop watching. Wow. I was staying up late, watching on my breaks at work and lunch. I just finished listening to your Nothing in Vain podcast while at work, and you made a reference if the kids were chosen for a reason by Adam. It makes sense. Elizabeth's little boyfriend, so she has no one to rely on. Yeah. Mads, which would push Ulrich to be on the case once Miko goes missing, forcing him to investigate Helg and following him into the past. Eric was taken so that the kids would go and get his drugs by the cave, yep. allowing for fu future Jonas to be able to take Mikkel to the past to start Jonas's path. And also, if Bartosz never gets that bag, then he doesn't have the phone that Noah uses to contact him. Yeah. 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 Yep. It's all connected. It's all connected. This show is absolutely amazing. I've always loved time travel. Donnie Darko is my favorite movie, and the ending reminds me of Dark. Oh, I believe yes. Hannah has the deja vu of what once happened the same way certain characters of Donnie Darko had dreams of what once happened because the cycle has continued an infinite number of times until the cycle was broken. Please keep up the podcast. I can't get enough of it. You all Aww. are doing an amazing job and are definitely the best part of my day. Thank you. Oh, my Aww. gosh. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Ernesto. Thank you so much. <laughs> it makes me so happy. I loved it because it was like, uh, it brought up a couple of points about which I think, so I'm at the part, I don't know about you guys, but I'm at the point where it's been a while since I watched the show. Like I watched yeah. the show back in June. Yeah. 
So I'm forgetting all of these. I'm starting to forget all of these things that are interwoven as delicately as, as they were. And so it was a really nice reminder, especially with the topic of today, you know, the ways in which these boys were used aside from just testing the time machine, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's actually a really good point because I, when I go back and I'm looking at, you know, whatever our topic is, I pick key episodes to go through and rewatch sometimes or moments to rewatch so that I have my notes refreshed. Mm -hmm. But um, I have been kind of feeling like it's, it's November. It's the time the boys went missing. It's, I think the first season dropped around this time. I have wintry vibes in my memory of watching dark for the first time. So I'm kind of like, maybe I should sit down and just do a rewatch and see where I'm at. Plus we want to do that for the cinematic episode or, you yes. know, that we do anyway. Yeah, good point. So I was thinking like, okay, maybe I'll just start that now, but I'm also down for a rewatch. So if we yeah. want to like <laughs> agree to rewatch the show, I am so in. Cause I had that thought as recently as last night where I was like, man, it's been a bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm, I'm forgetting all those little details, the things that were fresh in my mind when we first started recording. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm planning on doing, a, I've said this before, but my next rewatch, I want to do it entirely in German. Yeah. So that'll be fun. <laughs> Let's see if I can keep, still keep track of what's happening. <laughs> I'm sure you, I'm sure you'll be able to. I'm sure you'll surprise yourself probably. Yeah. I, I was thinking about Missing Kids and how it has, you know, it seems like such a strange, maybe even simple plot device at first glance. But when you look at it, the whole story is about missing children. Like yeah. Ten House is missing his son. So all of these boys going missing. Like if you look at it from a perspective of this is all coming from Ten House and Ten House's psyche, which is a theory that I actually really like. Um, these these worlds and Jonas and Marta represent, you know, the ki the kids in the car accident and then these missing children you know, Elizabeth going missing and being dropped off at a doorstep, you know, it, it, it all points back to this ache of Ten House that he is missing his children or his son. And it's, it intrigues me that it's boys that go missing, young boys. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I just kind of thought that that was, that was interesting. And you're right. That really is a great segue because today we're talking about all of the missing and gone. And, and like we've kind of touched on already, there's so much impact of those missing children. Not only Yassine, Eric, and Mads, but all of the children who go missing in the show. And so I want to focus on definitely Eric, Yassine, and Mads, but then also branch out from there in our discussion. Yep. Yeah. But first a recap. So Eric is the first boy, I would say, that we learn uh, went missing because we see his posters all over. Yep. in the first season. And then we mm -hmm. learn about Mads. So yep. quick recap with Eric. He went missing on October 22nd, mm -hmm. 2019, when he was 15 years old. And the complication with his being missing is that he used to run away a lot, yeah, but never more than a few days. And so we learn about that actually in season three with his brother Killian, because Killian would say that when things got to be too much at home, Eric would message him and say, you know, hey, I'm going to be away for a while. But this time he didn't. Another, I guess, complication is that Eric and his father, uh, Jürgen, have been selling drugs to the students at the high school. And so that's where the phone comes in because Eric kept a phone, a mobile phone, in that bag of drugs in the armchair outside of the Winding Caves. 
Can I can I jump in with a totally derailing theory that is suddenly hitting me real quick? Sure, of course. Um, do you think that Noah actually was the supplier for everybody? That's terrifying thought. That is a terrifying thought. <gasps> he must be. Because that phone, phone leads to Noah. So I think Noah was the one who was supplying the drugs. That's so fucking obvious. But I even wondered in doing research, I was like, wow, that's kind of weird that Noah knew the phone number. He must have gotten it from somewhere. But what if he's behind everything? Holy shit. Behind the machinations of that. Yeah. Oh, man. Noah. The more and more we learn about you, the more tricky you become in my brain. (laughs) Why can't oh things God. just be simple and he can just stay a hot priest? <laughs> Why does he have to be a drug dealing murderer, child murderer? <laughs> oh, anyway. man, but you're so but yeah, right. That's, that's Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's a little terrifying. And yeah. uh, I, I do think that we get hints of Eric's, just to bring it back to Eric here, I do think we get hints of his day-long disappearances because... In season one, when they have that argument and they spit on Ulrich, when they're like, yep. you're not doing enough, he says um, he's probably just on one of his things and he'll be yeah. back in a couple of days. And they're yeah. like, no, it's different this time. Yeah. yeah. And so quick note about his parents. We see more of Jürgen than Ula, his his mother. But another big role that Jürgen plays in the story, just to remind everyone, including us, is that he was the one who drove the truck full of drums of nuclear waste yep. out of the yeah. Winton Caves for Alexander before the police arrived with that search warrant. So that's where he also comes in later. But his um, other son, Killian, I do want to talk about a little bit because it's so interesting to me how Killian has always been in the story, but he's only more involved in season three just because Jonas doesn't exist. Yeah. So he's still in the theater group with Martha in season one. He's still a part of the Ariadne play. He's still doing, um, you know, theater with them. He's still going to the same school. But in season three, in the world where Jonas doesn't exist, he and Martha, I guess, hit it off and start dating. And so that's where we learn more about the Obendorf family. And doesn't he play Theseus in the play when Jonas doesn't exist? I don't know if it's Theseus. It's almost like, um, I got the impression it was almost like a chorus member. Because he was setting up the scene almost okay, okay. by describing Martha like, that as would Ariadne. be an interesting choice because that would if, be because if Martha's boyfriend or choice of lover is him because Jonas isn't there and then he's representing that's kind of cool. That's kind of yeah. an interesting tie and in like this is what Jonas would be. Um yeah, I think that's I think that's very, very interesting. Yeah. I would actually argue that. Martha is more a Theseus type when it comes to Killian because she kind of gets involved with Killian and then dumps him, you know, proverbially on the island because I think it's the third episode of season three. Martha goes to his family's trailer and learns that Killian was kicked out of school because her father, uh, Ulrich, assumed that Killian had slipped her and her friend's drugs that night yeah. at the caves. And so Killian was accused and their relationship just kind of falls apart there Yeah, because Killian accuses her of only dating him to stick it to her parents. And so they break yeah. up and we never see him again, I believe in that which season. Im- yeah. Which implies that it's kind of just this unspoken thing that they all know that there there's drugs in the house 
or that the kids are selling the drugs. You know, if Marta is dating to stick it to her cop of a dad, then, yeah. you know, everybody mm-hmm. kind of knows. I think it's interesting to look at the alt world in season three and look at how many secrets are actually not secrets. Yeah. Yeah. Which is just, yeah. Everyone's wise to the secrets, basically. It's like, yeah, unspoken. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Katarina knows. Hannah, Hannah knows. Yeah. You know, it's like mm-hmm. there's a lot that's not hidden anymore in season three. And it's just because Jonas isn't around or is it the, is it the, you know, two kind of mirrored realities, <gasps> right? Maybe what? it's like, maybe it's a virtue of the person running the world. Like maybe it's Afa because Marta and Afa she's always had this sort of like honesty she's always fighting secret keeping in a, in a way whereas really. Jonas she lies to herself yeah but i feel like maybe i don't know maybe i'm maybe i'm crazy in that but like Jonas is saying. always actively i wonder yeah. if it's something to do with um the person behind behind the machinations in that regard you know yeah that's interesting too because then oh man that is super interesting because what if it's not Licht and what's shadow? Uh, Licht and Schatten. Schatten. Okay. Licht, Licht and Schatten, light and shadow. When we think of that instantly, I think it's maybe it's just us three because of how we were raised. But I think I can speak for the three of us when I say instantly when I hear light and shadow, I'm thinking good and evil. Yeah. But yeah. maybe it's shadow is literally concealment. Nothing yeah. is honest and straightforward. There are secrets and lies and yeah. light is exposed <gasps> where, cause, cause you are a bit on the nose Mergs in thinking that Marta generally speaking is pretty honest with who her followers. She's like, we have to do this to keep the cycle going because yeah. if we don't keep the cycle going, none of us exist anymore everything yeah. falls apart and yeah. if you want to keep existing we have to keep this loop going so in that way you might be right yeah yeah it's almost just like the the reasoning behind why they do everything is is very different you know adam yeah. is trying to end the world she is trying to continue it it's yeah. maybe it's even just like a flavor of personality marta is a little bit more you know straightforward and jonas is more well, he's like, you know, a sweet baby angel Jonas, but he's also fighting to keep the lies going constantly, you know? Yeah, especially as Adam, because, yeah. I mean, to your point with Ava being forthcoming with her her followers and saying we have to do X, Y, and Z in order to perpetuate, in order to yeah. continue living, yeah. Adam is telling his followers we have to do X, Y, and Z so that we can reach paradise. But really, he just mm-hmm. wants to destroy everything. So he's lying mm-hmm. to his followers. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Yeah. I like that too. I like that a lot. And again, it's just, it's an interesting, you know, perspective shift that, you know, light and shadow doesn't necessarily mean good and evil, which is kind of interesting to think mm-hmm. about. Yeah. Truth and lies. Yeah. Truth and lies. Anyway, back to the missing children. <laughs> Yeah. So I would say, you know, Mads and Yassine, we don't know as much about. I would say Mads probably a little bit more, but we've already kind of discussed because of our email today that Yassine was ultimately taken to kind of free up Elizabeth romantically to be receptive to young Noah when they meet in the bunker. Um, I did find that Yassine might be of Turkish descent because of his name. 
Um, when the 1953 police pathologist examines his body, he comments that the boy must not be local because uh, he looks Mediterranean. I learned that while Germany today has a significant Turkish population, it started ultimately back in the 1960s with a guest worker program. Mm -hmm. yeah. And also the last name Fries, isn't that the last name of one of the creators too? I thought that was a cool little nod. Hold on, what? Bum, bum, bum. I'm looking it up. Yep, it is. Her last name is F-R-I-E-S-E. And her first name, I d am hesitant to fucking say it because I don't want to butcher it. <laughs> is it. But it's J-A-N-T-J-E. Yantia, maybe? Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah. along those lines. Yeah, so that's that's her last name. Good catch. Good, good fucking catch. Also, I would just like to throw out there uh, the whole idea of light and shadow. It's more recent cover since it's been out Ooh, for a while. true. They've Ooh. shown the, the light and the shadow. And I think it's very interesting that they both have, you know, the, the blue. But if you look at Marta's inner lining on hers, it's like a, it's not that like. I mean, oh, yeah, obviously it's almost that's, like a brown. Yeah, it's obviously the color grading, but still like it's, it's, it's an interesting choice. Yeah. Yeah. That they both and I have. Mean, oh so they're fuck i'm sorry to freak out so they're wearing a they're wearing a coat made of light and shadow because we yeah. know yellow means deception and we yes. know blue means truth so they are both literally okay. wearing oh my well, god okay cool. well <laughs> truth and lies the truth and lies jacket yes Oh, so good. oh man, God, this show is so good. I love that about their two worlds because whenever in Jonas's world, you exit the caves, you go into the forest, which is very um, oftentimes depicted as shadowed, overcast, dark, foggy. You can't see the wood through the trees, you know, yeah. like that whole idea of being concealed. Yeah. Yep. Versus Martha's world where you exit and you're in like a desert that you can yeah. see to the or it's horizon. it's nothing but the sun. Everything yes. is exposed. That's yes. so cool. That That's is such so an cool. interesting tidbit. Yeah. Um, um, but you know what? Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to start talking about Mads, but I don't think we're there yet. So, No, let's, let's jump to Mads because I don't have anything else to talk about with Yassine other than, um, you know, the fact that he was sacrificed. I feel like, again, with Eric, just the the fallout with his family senselessness yeah. yeah yeah there's an element i feel of like senselessness which maybe the one thing about the show is that they do a pretty good job at trying well they try to show the impact that these missing boys have had on the family lineage yes. and on the mothers and things right. like that you know but i find also though that as a viewer of the show like i don't leave the show thinking i forget them you know i forget yes. the the missing boys I don't know if that was intentional or just a result of having all these crazy time travel things going on. I mean, like a boy goes missing and then suddenly it's time travel in the apocalypse, like out of those things, which is the more attention grabbing. But so I think that's a very interesting question to present because looking at the Reddit, a lot of it seems to be, especially if you go back and look at the Reddit from season one and season two, where people are talking about, you know, what's with the missing kids? You know, is it, is this a detective show? Was it simply, simply something they put in here to grab that crowd, that true crime crowd? Um, was it just a plot device? But the more and more I thought about it, the more I thought it cannot be because they could have done anything. They could yeah. have done anything to make this machine work. They could have chosen to have, you know, some something else going on. But the fact that they had 
they chose to do missing children again brings it back to townhouse and his missing kids but also just like every little bit of detail the the fact that they chose elizabeth's young love for noah to take that's a detail that they thought about they didn't just say oh you know who can we grow oh let's you know throw in this guy because it'll be interesting no they went this is this is dark this is yeah messed up thing that they are doing what's a level of detail that we can put in here to show that you know how can we make sure to drive home that you know what noah is doing is horrific and it is uh it, it was that you know like i i feel like they i feel like they went out of their way in this show especially the more and more we do this podcast and we see like the 38 seconds or 38 minutes and 38 seconds is 38 on the screen like i can't stop thinking about that and i just think you know there's there's no way that choosing missing children and and like the whole show starts with two the idea of two missing kids over time from the same family that's ten house he's missing two children from the same family oh, it's just like yeah. every everything like unravels yeah. from this one moment it's all a metaphor and i just yeah. i think well as you were saying that i was having a bit of a moment just now because you know i think it's easy to look at the missing children as a a narrative push for loss of innocence, all this other stuff, you know, but it occurred to me that there's this element of loss of life before being able to live it. Yeah. And that is what the end is. It's a massive loss of life, full lives that are snuffed out because they didn't belong or, you know, like they just didn't fit the timeline. But those people lived real lives and no matter how difficult those lives were or you know it's being forgotten and the life that is not that one is not able to live yeah a a robbing wow yeah when the worlds get snuffed out yeah Yeah. that last line that marta has will they remember us yes haunts me to this day because that's like in that moment and again we'll talk about this so much more when we finally get there but in that moment i was like holy shit this is a I'm going to use the word spiritual journey, but philosophical journey that they have put in this show. And I normally see that shit coming a mile away. And I just didn't for this one. You know, they're talking about death and dying in this moment. They're not talking about will the people actually remember us? That line is literally we are about to die. Will the people we leave behind remember us? And it's like everyone wonders that. And I just think such a beautiful thing. And last that research for last week's episode when I found out she was reading spiritual books and yeah. you know, all the stuff yep. that's just draw and that to philosophical and they're all saying the same thing just from a different perspective. I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. That is, that is what they were trying to do. It just further solidifies that to me. So I think I found myself <sighs> wondering if they knew someone that lost a child or had a yeah. missing child because it was such a, it, the idea of that missing. It's so it's, permeates every little piece of this show you see in Ulrich missing his brother you see it in Ulrich's mother missing her son you see it in Trant who thinks he has a daughter yeah that he's never been able to connect to you it's like mirrored in so many uh we see we see Trant who's in a home you know for a while you know we we just we we see it a lot throughout the show and it's one of those things similar to you know the adultery it's one of those themes that that missing family member that i think is 
it just made it just made me pause when I was doing research this week, thinking like, oh, I wonder, I wonder if they know someone that you know, or they themselves lost someone like that. Um, it's this element of the the micro and the macro. It's yeah. this element of these threads, these themes being found in every cell of the show, mm-hmm. from small to big. Whether it's a child going missing, ten houses son dying. Or an apocalypse wiping out the entire town. Yeah. Because think about it. That's what it feels like when you lose someone like that. It feels like an apocalypse has wiped your town. Yeah. Yeah. And the worst part about it too, I think, is like the element of, I remember thinking very clearly, like, I can't believe life is going on and that people haven't stopped and that people continue to go and people don't know what's happening. And how can they not know what's happening? How can they not know that like, this beautiful person is no longer here and that the world is a vacuum. Yeah. And I, you know, that feeling of just like the world should have ended. Time stops for you. Yeah. 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 The world should have ended yeah. at that moment and it didn't. And that's almost like a one of the greatest tragedies at that time. Yeah. It's, you I know? also find it's one of the more difficult things to get over. Yeah. You've got the loss itself. And then you have the, I am still stuck. I'm time traveling back to when they were still here, but no one else is. Everybody else is going about their day. You know, like what, what do you want in your coffee? And you're like, I just want that person back. I don't give a shit about my coffee, but no one around you knows. Yeah, it's rough. And you have to kind of like, it's funny because healing from grief, (laughs) it's, it's really just, spending a lot of time making the world forcing the world to make sense again so that yeah. you can continue living in it and it yeah. never does and you always have this undercurrent constantly that nothing that you're doing really matters you know what really matters but also you can't live your life just sitting there in that moment yeah. where you found out you know and there are things to live for and yeah, just the element of like peeves. I've had this a lot with you where it's like, man, the what you're missing by not knowing this person, you know, like not being able to share. I knew this episode was going to be rough because it's like missing kids and whatnot, but I'm really glad we're doing it because I think it was uh, it was an episode that we added in sort of last minute because we thought it would be important, but... The more and more I thought about it this week, the more I realized it's it's probably one of the more important messages in the show that we'll we'll hit, touch back on at the end is the, the loss of family or yeah. the loss of um loss of children. That scene, that moment he goes in, Ulrich thinks it's his son and then realizes it's not his son and then feels terrible for feeling relieved yeah. that it wasn't his son. Like all of that in a matter of moments is like that's so real. That's too yeah. real. They knew. The actor knew someone who lost a kid or interviewed someone or the writers even, knew. Cause- even, uh, this might be weird, but sometimes I think about the types of things that I would give to see that person again. And I wonder how much of that was going through Ulrich's mind when he saw his brother again. You know, like even though his brother was on a slab, it's like, well, he says that, doesn't he? He says that to his mother. If you, if you knew if he were dead, would you want to know? Is yeah. it Ulrich that says it or is it Trant? I can't remember. 
but she says no. Yeah. She says, I don't want to know because then it means there's no chance he's still out there. Oh, it's right. final. You know, yeah. he, he's dead and gone. And I just think that's very interesting too, because um, personally, I, I need that closure, you know? Yeah. I'll t- <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, but it's just so funny how like lately I've been remembering a lot of stuff. I had a very emotional phone call with my mom and my sister about when my, my dad passed away. Um, it was like three hours of us basically like rehashing all the details that I'd spent the last 20 something years forgetting and details. Like the first thing I said when they told me was asking if he was in, in any pain. I was 12. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's just like a lot of memories that come up about about what that feeling is like and that ending and that apocalypse. And I was getting to a point, but I completely forget what point I was getting to. That that actually makes me think of something that I think we're we're kind of dancing around a little bit. You know, you we you've mentioned that in a show like Dark, the the time travel, the the multiple worlds, like that's the flashy stuff. Yeah. People who go missing are not. And yeah. it's so easy yeah. to forget them. But in another way, too, it, it's almost like a collective experience. You can only truly remember someone with the help of other people who knew them because our memories are faulty. And I've been in that situation, yeah. too, where I've had conversations with family and they will remind me of something I literally forgot, would never have been able to remember it on my own. But yeah. them saying it just it brings it back, but it brings back so many other memories, too. I'm so glad you said that, Acorn, because that's how I've been feeling and thinking this last week. But I also just ended my show Gone, which is literally about the collective experience of the missing. So I was like, I can't tell if I'm projecting (laughs) the end of my (laughs) show and like all the meaning that I put into this show uh, on Dark. But I yeah, I'm really happy that you said that because I do feel that way. And it's (laughs) it was one of those things where I felt again like I'm living in a simulation somehow because, you know, the show ended that's what our show was about. Um, and then, you know, it's literally called gone. And then our episode this week is the missing and gone. And I'm like, am I just, am I just projecting everything that I've been going through this last week on here? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's just, yeah, it's one of those (laughs) things where it lined up, you know, it's like our, that other vampire show that we were in with the hermeticism, you know, it's like weird. Even just that conversation, that I was just mentioning with my family, which happened out of nowhere on a Saturday yeah. morning, this last Saturday, you know. <gasps> and um, I had just sent you that wow. song. Isn't that weird? Yeah, you had just sent me that song. I still haven't listened to it. I'm yeah, sorry don't. I didn't listen no, to it. Don't, it was no, just no, like don't. after that conversation, don't. I was like. Yeah, don't. So like I, for context, I found a song that was, I think it's called, what is it called? I think it was literally called Grief. Yeah, it's called Grief. Yeah, the song's called Grief. Um, I'll put it in the show notes for those who want to listen to it. But it's um, it's a beautiful song, but it's like six minutes long and it's called Grief. And it the song opens with a... Sorry. The song opens with, I think, what I assume is the last voicemail message that someone has with his dad. Oh, like, God. Um, it's, like, it's like, hey, son, just calling to check up on you or something like that. It's that. And then... And then the whole song is just, you can tell it's him going through the grief of the loss of his dad. And it's like a tribute to his dad. And I like, somehow it 
popped up into my timeline or in my view and I saw it and I was like and I just immediately sent it to her no context and then (laughs) two hours later she's like I just had this rough call with my family about my dad and I was like don't listen to the song don't listen to the song (laughs) absolutely do not listen to it like and normally I would fight you normally I'd be like no no no, I'm fine I'll listen to it but after that call I was like yeah you know what I think I'm just gonna it made me cry it made me cry and like I I have not lost a parent that way so it's like yeah no you can't neither of you are allowed to listen to it for a little (laughs) while at least you know what was so weird about that as well which I think it's almost as if it's like crazy that it just lined up like this because I feel like I was primed this week to talk about it as well yeah it's this you know what I said to my family because they asked me they were like and what was it like for you I don't think they've ever asked me what it was like for me because I was so young that I think they were just trying to make everything normal as fast as possible for me. And uh, obviously I wasn't sitting there being like, well, you know, as an adult, I can now, you know, understand and comprehend and stuff. And I, I literally said to them, you know, like, I, I feel like I, obviously it's a loss, but I also feel like I was robbed in every way possible. Yep. Because like they, you know, like it's not it's not anyone's fault, but like they get to have these adult memories. They get to have these they got to have those moments with him, an understanding of what was happening. They got to be with him in a way that I now understand I can be there for someone as an adult with my full brain. Do you know what I mean? Like Dark Knight of the Soul shit. And I feel like I'm really good at Dark Knight of the Soul shit now. Mm-hmm. But it's just this feeling of being robbed on every level, which I feel like I, for a very long time, it was very important for me to be okay because I couldn't let anybody know that I wasn't okay mm-hmm. because I couldn't stand the attention or the worry of other people. It's still something that I really struggle with. And so I need to like have my shit on lock at all times. Yeah. And, you know, I can't stand people looking at me or taking care of me in that way and stuff. So, it was just a really... God, me either. Yeah. I can't handle it. I can't handle If someone starts being like, oh, maybe you should do this, this, and I like shut down. <laughs> I just, <laughs> you know, I think there's like a level of, it's so difficult. And um, I'm still that? learning. Sorry, we might have to cut this yeah. out. But also, I'm totally okay if we don't. But yeah, like, yeah. Acorn, do you have that too? Which? That, that like, that shutdown, you know, where it's like nobody can get in here. Like yeah. even yesterday... I had an emergency vet visit with my cat and I couldn't tell anyone. He was not, he was slowly stopping walking and I could not say to anyone, I'm in pain. I just, eventually I was like, I'm bailing because I have to go to the vet and this might be it. And even then it was like facts only. And when I came back from the vet, it was like facts only, you know, goodbye. But if anybody... You know, I looked, I looked at you, you two, two of my friends in a voice channel on discord. And I was like, I should go in and tell them, but I couldn't do it. I had to type it because if I even spoke, I'd fall apart. And I just, what is that? Yeah. Survival. I think it's, yeah, emotional survival. And I can also relate almost like this disconnect where you have to focus on being okay and it's so difficult to talk about things with people because it's almost like even if you were able to put it into words, those words may not resonate or may not be accepted by someone the way that you need them to. Yeah. And your emotions are so big that them receiving it and understanding what you're saying is so important to the point where you can't say it. Yeah. Yeah. 
it almost feels, I don't know how to, maybe I'm, I'm wrong in this and I reserve the right to change my mind about what I'm about to say, but it almost feels like trite to some extent. Like you can't explain how you feel. No words can be like, I'm in an, a level of anguish that I literally can't describe. And to then be like, oh, well, this thing is happening. I don't want to talk about it further. <laughs> like yeah. I don't want to get into it. And people aren't going to really fully understand and almost yeah. being misunderstood or not being fully understood about that hurts more. Yes, yeah. exactly. And, and it's like, I don't know where it comes from either in the sense that I would rather handle it myself, by myself, always by myself. And I think maybe maybe it just comes from, yeah, I don't know. It hurts more to not have someone understand exactly what's going on. But at the same time, by not sharing you, you don't even give them rob, the opportunity. Yeah, you rob them of the opportunity to not understand you. Yeah. Or yourself yeah. the opportunity to be understood. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, like, for example, Peeves, when you came into that chat and you, you said those facts, I was like, I'm not sleeping tonight. I'm staying up. I'm getting out of yeah. my bed. I'm going to my computer and I'm just going to yeah. stay here because I know. So I know. I guess the trust that things can be unspoken but understood, I think is something that's pretty powerful, but very hard to put faith into. Yeah. Yeah. And like, sometimes, sometimes there's a moment where, because I know you two have a shared experience where I can see it on your face. You two are having a moment of like, I understand you in a way that I, I can't. My best friend in high school lost her mother very suddenly in an accident. And so like, I feel like I've seen it when it happens. Like, unfortunately, I wasn't able. I didn't know you, Acorn, and I didn't know you, Mergs, at the time in which your loss occurred. I would have loved to have been there for you in that moment, and I know that I couldn't, and it's awful, but I have seen that experience before. My mother lost her mother when she was, like, 20. I was born a year later or something. It's absurd. But, like, I just know all these people that have had such a significant loss, and I will... I don't know that experience. And so I struggle with that sometimes, like wishing that I could have that look that you two have between each other and that understanding of like, I know, I know you, I know this pain because you don't need words. You two just are able to have that experience and know that you're not alone. And that is super powerful, especially because we're talking about when we're experiencing a loss or, you know, a missing child or missing brother or sister, you're trying to hoof it alone. You're trying to kind of deal with everything and make the world right again. <laughs> Join your fractured worlds together to everything be whole, to ever, ever feel whole again. And I will just like, I never forget. The one thing that I hear from everyone that I've spoken to that has lost a family member like a parent usually, um, or even a, a child gone missing is like, it won't be. Yeah. Like I will never, my mom does not talk about the death of her mother, like hardly ever. But I, I will remember one particular instance when I came to her after my best friend lost her mother. And I was like, mom, how do I help her? And she was like, you can't, you just have to be there and just be there, just exist around her yeah. and just like continue doing your normal stuff. But there's literally nothing that you can do that will make her. And she didn't say make her better. She said, make her whole again. And I was like, okay, 
cool ma you know like thanks uh that's the only time my mother has ever really talked about the loss of her mom and um you know i don't think my mom listens to this podcast but um mom if you're out there like i uh i'd love to talk to you about it sometime there's um that's one of the reasons why i personally never say i'm sorry for your loss and all of the cookie cutter hallmark (laughs) phrases um there's been a couple times where i've learned that someone lost someone and all i said was something along the lines of like i know you're not okay and you're not going to be okay for a long time but i'm thinking about you yeah yeah well what do you well you can't really say anything else with that i struggle with that too (laughs) my my favorite phrase is fuck you know just like (laughs) just i think I have learned that, of course, there is nothing you can say. There absolutely is nothing that you can say. And the only thing that you that helps is by going like sort of in a way, the best way you can signaling that you get it, because I think one of the things about losing someone is that you you feel immediately they say like, oh, tragedy brings people together. But my experience of losing someone was it was extremely isolating and basically it felt like you were alone and no one was going to get it for like the rest of your life. Yep. And so when, when you do meet someone who is like, they say something that resonates with you and it's like, it comes from that experience and that knowledge it's that's where you can find some healing. But at the same time, I don't expect that from anybody. Like I don't, yeah, I don't expect people to comfort me and I don't expect people to be there for me in the way that I think because I just don't, I think it's an insurmountable challenge and it's almost unfair to expect other people to get it when, or like to be there in a way that no one can fix it. You can't expect people to fix it. It's unfixable. It, yeah. You know, yeah. you've lost and half so, of yourself. And so when people do recognize that and can look at that and say, I get it, I see you, yeah. it's, it's like an unexpected kindness. It's an unexpected yeah. comfort. Yeah. Also, since we're on the topic of grief, I just want to throw this into the conversation in case um, anyone listening has not heard of this concept, but I found a lot of comfort in it. When you're coping with grief, um, there's this concept you can think of called the ball in the box. Have you both heard heard of that? I have not. Please tell me. In a lot of ways, grief is like a ball in a box where your grief at first is so large that it will bounce around the box and hit your pain point very often, sometimes every couple seconds, multiple times throughout a day. But over time, the ball of your grief will shrink and get smaller and it will hit that pain point fewer and fewer times until finally it will only hit that pain point every once in a while. And this is a constant that you can rely on that even though it may be excruciating at first and you don't know how you're going to get through it, eventually. You know, that was my biggest fear, man. Like after my dad died, I, I, my biggest fear, which I think maybe people don't realize until it happens was having that pain go away. Yeah. Like, is it a betrayal if it goes away? Yeah. I felt, I felt anytime I like laughed, I felt so guilty. Yeah. Um, this is a rough episode. So if anybody listening has to bail, we completely understand. Um, but I think it's important to talk about my two besties over here are in tears. So I'm going to just talk for a second about that was actually a talking point in the show that I just ended last week. One of the characters lost someone they loved 
And like during the finale, one of the points was like her final challenge in this labyrinth of the mind was getting over that survivor's guilt or the the idea that like you can be happy and you're not betraying the person who is gone. You know, in fact, it is the opposite. It is the best way to live with their memory is to go and be happy because they wouldn't want you to be sad forever. But there is something really heavy and profound about that idea of betraying someone's memory, like, or getting over it, you know, like, you're never going to get over it, but y you can work towards being whole again, or trying to exist and have an experience, which is the ball in the box where your grief hits rarely. It's still there. It's never going to go away. You'll always have that little ball in a box, but it's, it's not going to be as difficult as it, as it is in the beginning time ironically yeah you need time, time is uh... you need to be not stuck in a time loop you know you need to get out <laughs> yeah. of your time loop yeah. and you need to let yourself heal and there's different yeah. levels of like presentation with healing i'm thinking of dark now and just the difference yeah. between ulrich who uses his pain and, and channels it into keeping that pain from other people by being a policeman and, and hopefully solving murders and mysteries yeah. and whatever but then also yana she never seemed to get to a point where things were even close to being okay. No. She was she presented as like a broken character for the rest of the show. Yeah. Ever since yeah. Mads left. They, they actually do that uh, multiple times in the show because I think grief is misunderstood in a lot of ways. Everybody grieves differently. Commonly we'll see people we stream a lot on Twitch, right? So I see people commenting on other people's grief a lot in games or whatever. And people say, oh, that's not how it should go. Or, you know, that's not what happens when you lose someone. And it's like, well, everybody grieves very differently. And that's something I really appreciate in the show because they do show different aspects of that grief. Tron yeah. moving on and like refusing to, you know, becoming that stern father that's like never around and, you know, uh, Ulrich being a little bit angry with his dad about how he handled it and also angry at his mom for not being there. And um, Ulrich being that kid who needed his parents and needed someone to help him through the loss of his brother, but they couldn't because they couldn't get over their own grief is, um, is super telling. Even the fact that he refuses to settle down and not cheat is something yeah. that is common when you have lost a significant person in your life because you can't, you don't want to trust fall anymore, or you don't want to rely on only one person because what if they're, what if they go, what if they disappear, you know? And so it's like, he has this, he has this relationship with Katerina, which is a lot of unspoken things and true, you know, true love, but he still goes around and attaches to multiple people who love him and who need him the way he needed his mom to when he was a kid, but also just so that he feels like someone goes away. He's got multiple, he's not alone again. So there's that, you know, there's also who else I want to say, uh, Alexander, even a little bit too, shows a remorse in the detective that comes looking for him and is like, you fucking killed my brother. Larson? Yeah, that's another mm. missing brother, by the way. And I was going to yeah. bring that up. That's another missing. There's there's just a lot of the idea of missing, but not necessarily just in sons or brothers. There's, this is absurd, but Wolder's eye. They do yep. a lot of stuff to show that pieces of you or pieces of the world are missing or wrong. And I just think it's like, 
It's a really cool underlying theme that permeates nearly every scene. After doing research, I didn't have time to go back, but there were moments where I wanted to go back and see what was missing from each scene. Mm. Like from from one world to the other when they flip in the mirror, oh, yeah. I wanted to look and see what was missing because I feel like there's probably something significant there that they will have no longer in the scene to represent this person is missing. Like even Jonas's, we didn't even talk about Jonas's grief with his dad when his dad kills himself. You yeah. know, like that, that's like... You know, there's just a lot of there's a lot of grief in the show. And, you know, mm. it's it's really important. How you two doing? <laughs> Getting better. For oh, a bit, I'm, I'm but, right. OK, OK, yeah. OK. Um, yeah. I uh, thanks for allowing the space for our for uh, us three to talk about that. You know, I know, peeps, that you've mentioned that you feel like it's difficult because you don't have that understanding. But, you know, like there are things that I don't understand about your grief and that I will never understand about your grief as well. And that grief exists in as huge a way as well. Yeah. Um, I was going to say that too. Like, yeah. even, you know, talking about some, sometimes not wanting to talk about your grief because you know, the person can't possibly understand. I think there's also something to be said of the people who want to understand in a very genuine, caring, loving way. Yeah. I have absolutely had instances where someone approaches it from that point of, I don't get it. I may never get it, but But I I want want to to, as much as I Mm -hmm. can to be there for you. That makes a huge difference. Yeah. Um, Those listening that maybe have not experienced a loss like this, but know people who have experienced a loss like this, now that I like recall it and think about it, there's been a lot of loss around me. Like my sister lost one of her good friends in high school uh, to a horrific murder. He was murdered. Um, and yeah, and then there's been some suicides that have surrounded like, you know, my friends, but also I've friends dear to me that have lost people. And something that I try to do is obviously like, I'll do that initial reach out with, you know, my condolences or whatever it is that you would like to say to let them know I hear you. But I usually two months after will schedule a lunch with a person sit down and I'm like, so tell me about your friend. And it's just like, cause that's the period when everyone else is expecting you to be over it and they're no longer saying my condolences. So it's like a good moment to show them, Hey, I know, and it's okay. And I'm going to sit down with you and have coffee. And if you want to talk about your friend, great. If not, that's okay too. But I'm here now in the moment when, and we're going to stop the clock. We're going to stop time yeah. for just a moment and exist together. Like I find that that, that is from my personal experience, that is a very great gift when someone has done that to me. So now I try to do it when it happens around me. So um, just a validation of like that person existed. And I know that person existed. Like I remember them because I think when you're going through grief, everyone, like I said before, everyone kind of wants everything to go back to normal and wants things to be okay. And they never will. And there is an element of forgetting or the world moves on and, and, there's almost like a, was, did that person exist? I don't remember feeling like they existed at all. Yeah. And just the validation of, because here's another thing as well that I, you know, my, my grief is very singular. There's a lot of different types of grief that I will never understand. Mm-hmm. And so I do spend a lot of time trying to educate myself on how to be there for people in that capacity too. And, and I remember watching an interview with someone who lost their son 
Oof. And he was saying like, uh, don't be afraid to ask about them because we're already thinking about them. We're thinking about, I'm thinking about my son constantly. I never not think about my son. I would love to talk about him. And I think yeah. about that a lot. Like the greatest gifts that uh, peeves that you've given me is just being like interested in my dad, like asking me who he was because he was, he was a person. Oh boy. Fuck man. Our description for this ep- for this episode is going to be a big warning. It's a content <laughs> warning. Yeah, it's a content warning. But um, yeah, oh boy, I I also to to um to try to bring it back to dark for just a moment and to say something that I think it took me a long time to realize this, and I think it's really important. The reason Katarina and the reason Ulrich really stand out to me as characters, I. I identify with or understand grief is a really important life experience that sometimes we need to allow ourselves to have it, particularly for me, the grief of you are not what I needed you to be at a time in which I needed something like as a child who needed a parent who was emotionally available or who was not time neglecting. And just going, I need to understand I needed that and I didn't have it and grieve it. I need to be okay. I need to allow myself to just like be sad about that and be okay and understand and be compassionate with myself. And the moment I actually realized that I was a lot more, I was not angry anymore. I was pretty angry at my parents for a while. You know, this could just be a young teenage thing, but I was like angry, like, you know, why weren't you around or why weren't you emotionally available? And when I realized that I needed that and I didn't get it and I kind of was like, that's okay. I'm going to grieve that. Man, I became so much more compassionate. Yeah. You know, it sounds like Ulrich needed that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we joke that everybody in that show needs therapy, but like, yes. <laughs> yeah. But like, if you they should join us on this podcast. Yeah, I find exactly. <laughs> yeah. It is pretty therapeutic, but I think, I think that's like, it's a really powerful thing that, that you should give yourself is permission to grieve. And um, we see that with Jonas too in the beginning where, you know, he he goes away to a psych, they say psych ward in the show and it's not accurate. Um, it's a bit, but, you know, he, he, goes, he goes away to get some therapy and it's like he's going through this grief about his dad and how could my dad leave me and, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, you need to give yourself space to feel all those things. And all of those things that you are feeling are okay. It's okay to feel that anger. It's okay to feel that, you know, um, but once you allow yourself to, it's almost like once you move from micro to macro, like they do in the show, right? Once you realize, oh, all these things that I'm feeling are sort of like stages of a grief. It's just like, you can become a lot more compassionate to yourself and or to, for, for me, it was my parents. Like, you know, I can now look from a macro perspective at everything my dad or my mom went through and go, oh, I understand. They literally were Ulrichs and Katarinas in their own way and could not be available for me. Okay. I still needed it though. Yeah. I still, you know, every kid deserves that. I, I still needed and I didn't get it, but I understand and I can move forward from that and not repeat. <laughs> I cannot time <laughs> loop, you know, I cannot yeah. snake eating its own tail and be emotionally unavailable for the people I love in my life, you know, like I can learn from their mistakes and move forward. So I think 
this is something I was sort of saving for the end of the podcast, but I actually think that that's something that the show is really talking about too, not just a time travel sci-fi show of being stuck in a loop. I think that's why we see the generational cheating. I think that's why we see the generational missing kids. I think that's why we see all that stuff is because there is a philosophy that trauma is carried through generations. And I think that that's not in a magical sense, but in a, I've been traumatized. So then I behave differently to my children. And then I traumatize my children. And then my children traumatize their children and on and on and on and on. And it's this whole idea that, you know, one horrific trauma can get your whole gen, your whole line stuck in a snake eating its own tail loop. I think it's interesting when you watch this show from that perspective, like if you start your rewatch of Dark right now, looking at it as a missing child or the loss of Tanhouse's family fractures everything and bleeds through generations upon generations of people who get stuck in the same behaviors. It's a very interesting metaphorical journey, I think. It's very, very interesting. Absolutely. Now that I'm thinking about it from that perspective, it is almost like every every decision that's made, every behavior, everything that each character does feels very convincingly to me like something that someone does in the heat of grief yeah. and their decision making is based on that grief and their choices and like choices is decision making, but you get what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like even this uh, understanding of the adultery and the seeking for comfort and love from someone else, this constant feeling of a missing whole of yourself, a missing piece of yourself that you're trying to fill in the various ways, Charlotte being locked down, Jonas emotionally unavailable. Yeah. Jonas trying to get control over his grief by becoming a controlling, overarching, megomaniacal, you know, like that all of that stuff is just, yeah, go ahead. Even, even the stranger coming back to Jonas saying that line. <laughs> Again, if you look at everything from a, from a perspective of loss, when Jonas tries to go back and bring his dad back in time and the stranger says, no, you can't do that or, or you will never have existed. I think that's a thought we all have when we lose someone. Yeah. Like I, if I could just trade myself, like if you pull away the sci-fi and you look at the show, it's almost like they're just speaking to grief and missing in the gone on a macro level. You know, look at Claudia, everything she does is to try to save her dying daughter. You know, it's like there is, there is just so much that's repeated in the show about that idea of loss. Ulrich saying, I did this. My cheating made my son go missing. God has taken my son from me. That's another thought that people will have when they're going through grief. I did this. I'm being punished. So it's like, you know, it's like everywhere in the show when you look at it from the lens of grief. It's just there's nothing in there that isn't about that. You know what? What? Thinking about it from that perspective, first of all, I completely subscribe to that now, just as (laughs) that's canon to me. Um, (laughs) But boy, does that fill me with compassion for everything that everyone does in that show? Yeah, it and does, does that fill me with such compassion for each of these characters who do fucked up shit, man? And, yeah. you know, thinking about it from that perspective, that, you know, every single character is a fractured bit of Hanhouse and his grief. I understand it. And boy, yeah, I'm filled with compassion for even their worst mistakes. 
Yeah. And like, you know, again, I'm, I'm low in my wad here a little bit because a lot of this is stuff I wanted to say at the very end, but I'm sure we'll find stuff to talk about then, then there too. But I was interested in the idea that the, like, it's not the main theory that I subscribe to, but what I do love about shows like Dark or there's another film called um, Nightcrawler with Jake Gyllenhaal in it, right? And it's, it's about the media and how the media profits directly off of people's trauma and or loss. But someone told me, watch the film from the perspective of Jake Gyllenhaal's character, literally a personified corporation. It changed the movie for me. Every line of dialogue he has, every scene that he has with someone else being a transaction, I was oh, like, wow. oh, wow, this is such an interesting way to watch this film. Do I think that they went into it saying to Jake you're playing a corporation. No, but it's an interesting way to watch the film. And if they were cool. So I love it when people can say, do I necessarily think that the writers of dark went into the saying the entire thing is literally tan house is fractured and everybody's playing a fractured bit of his psyche of grief. No, but I think it's a very interesting way to watch the film. And I think, or the TV show. And I think it's a, you learn a lot. And yes, it does yeah. fill me with compassion for a lot of the characters in the show. It makes Alexander's grief of how he feels responsible, even though it was an accident, yeah. you know, like all of these things that they're saying are things that I feel like people do say in their own minds again. And I know I said this earlier, but they say it when they lose someone, you know, whether with a car accident or cancer or something like that. It's just like, it's just echoed throughout the show. And I do think it's a very interesting way to watch the show. And I'm sure there's things that I'm missing. Like even Hannah, Hannah. even Hannah. Remember when a couple episodes ago, I was like, guys, I might surprise you with, with Hannah. <laughs> yeah. um, it's when I looked back on this from a grief perspective and I watched her go, I don't need men. I'm strong on my own now. And I was like, oh, damn. From a perspective of grief, there is that moment where you're like, I can stand on my own two feet again. Like, I can yeah. do this. Yeah. You know, I'm empowered. And yeah, it's, 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 yeah, there's just a lot. And I think like th that's part of the reason why I wondered if the writers had experienced a loss like this or had someone lose a child because I, it's in everything that they yeah. have done and it's in every scene. And while they may not have set out to do that, they kind of did. So I wonder, yeah. you know, like I know a lot of yourself gets put into what you're creating, especially when you're creating something like this. So it, it does make me wonder uh, a little bit about that. But yeah. Oof, man. Oof. Yeah. Well, I'm uh, well I had one other note, which <laughs> yeah. was that I forgot that Regina was the last person to see Mads alive. Oh, yeah. So that's that's it. That's what I got for that. And uh, my last note was a link to the story of Theseus and the number of people who went missing because it was about seven men, seven males who went missing in no. the show. Helga, Mads, Eric, Mikkel, Yassine, Ulrich, and Jonas. Oh, my God. And that's how many get sent to the island. Yeah, seven young Holy men cow. and seven maidens. <laughs> Wow, that's really cool. Are there yeah. seven maidens? Are there seven not, female characters? Sadly, I think it's just oh. Claudia and Gretchen, technically. Now, wait a minute. The patriarchy no. strikes wait again. <laughs> Is there more? Cl Claudia, Gretchen, Charlotte. She shows up on a doorstep. Oh, true. She's taken from her parents. Okay, yep. Anna goes to 1953. Anna? Oh, yeah. Holy crap, you're right. Marta? I don't. Marta doesn't go missing, though, does she? Well, I mean, she gets shot and dies. Yeah, maybe... Katarina goes missing. Katarina goes missing. Oh, shit. Yep. 
Katerina, like, we're up to five, five now. Okay. That's and, five um, if we don't include Marta, which I feel like we shouldn't include Marta. Yeah. Francisca um, goes missing. <gasps> Francisca does. She gets go. Yeah. She goes back in time. She's go back. She goes back in time. True. That might throw the numbers off though, because then we would be including Bartosh and Magnus, and it might be more. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. That's well, so interesting. But though. yeah, I feel Man. like there's probably another, like a seventh fem- female person who's gotten mixed. Magnus. Agnes. Oh, she Agnes. Leaves Doris. That's true. So That's roughly so cool. seven <laughs> young youths <laughs> and seven maidens. <laughs> That's so. Hey, so cool. people people who have been able to listen through this uh, trauma discussion and have gotten to this point of the episode, yeah. <laughs> congratulations! <laughs> you've made it. You've made it to the bomb drop. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was good. Do you guys have anything else about Gone or the Missing? No. Um, one small tie-in to something that Murgle said after our last episode about how it's so weird how so many characters get head trauma in this show. And yeah. I I looked a little bit into it and learned that in the, the Homeric age, the head was considered the location of the spirit or like the psyche. And then also the whole concept of the, the time machine burning out the eyes and yeah. the whole phrase of the eyes are the window to the soul. So that yeah. was kind of cool. Yeah. yeah, I think that's pretty neat. I also really like the just the visual symbolism of when they, you know, the burning out of the eyes is the whole justice, right? Justice? Justice is blind. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. what I thought of when oh, I when I originally saw that. I was like, oh, wow. That's you know. the that's the symbol I was trying to remember the whole time I was researching. Mm-hmm. Thank you, PB. With that's where scales, I've seen it. Right? Yeah, with the yeah. scales. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. The what what works? I mean, Merrick and Sonia died in a car accident, right? Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. a chance that they could have died from head trauma. That's true. You know what? Holy shit. There's something else that I've always wondered. And it's it could just be something that they did and a choice that they made offhandedly. But... There's a lot of head trauma, but there's also that mark on the chin mm. that both Mads and Mickle get and then Helg. There's some mirroring. There are scenes, and this is we'll talk more about this in the cinematography episode, but there are scenes that are mirrored where it shows their ch- like there's one scene where Mads or sorry, Ulrich lifts Mads' chin up and sees the scar on his chin. Yeah. And that exact scene is mirrored with Helg's dad lifting him up to be like, what happened to your chin? And he's got a mark on his chin. It's just that like fatherly protective figure over someone who has been taken and seeing a, a mark. Like, and it could just be metaphorical symbolism like your protector person in your life acknowledging your trauma like you know whatever but those exact scenes are mirrored from the way that they're lifting their chin up and see and i've always wondered like i wonder what it is about the mark on the chin was it just something they decided to do like oh you know to show that but it feels it feels important somehow for them to mirror the scene exactly with two very separate characters i'm like huh what is that so i wonder if it's i just like a random theory dying in a car accident hitting your head and hitting your chin right like yeah. on the wheel you know it's like i wonder if it's that kind of level <laughs> oh yeah. that would be such yeah. a cool deep cut easter egg if that was the case yeah. like something that didn't fully make it into the story but it was in the minds of the creators when they were writing this yeah mm-hmm. there's like there's a lot of that in that film stay like so good i love shit like that so yeah. it's it's not out of the wheelhouse for people to think like that and to put stuff mm-hmm. in films so or you know TV and it's just like one of those things that I'm like I think there's a lot in stay that 
that is just super subtle. It's like one of my favorite films of all time. Um, I can rarely watch it because it's so heavy. But also, I'm thinking of ending things on Netflix is a similar. Did you watch it? I, yeah, oh yeah, uh, yeah. I watched it like two days after it came out. It's so good. Yeah. Um, but it's it's along the, a similar vein. Um, again, also kind of sometimes hard to watch and a little bit more weird. But um, it's the same idea. It's the same idea of like coming to terms with your life, which is, you know, not always an easy, enjoyable experience. But <laughs> if you like that kind of stuff and you're in the mood, then both of those things I recommend. Coherence too. Coherence is a good film. I feel like I have to um, fight to not be in that mode. It's like an active decision that I have to make on my part to not be thinking about that stuff. I feel like I think about that stuff all the time. Yeah, it's important yeah. to listen to yourself too. And there's no shame in like, I can't watch that today or I can't, yeah. I can't go there today. You know, yep. yeah. like I had to, it took me two years to finish the last season of BoJack because I knew it was going to be rough. <laughs> I don't I think like, I'll ever watch BoJack. I got to be honest. Like I, I know that it's a masterpiece and I know that it's great. And um, I have tried watching it a couple of times and it just takes me to places that I feel I don't really need to go. And I feel like I am now old enough or whatever enough to recognize that I don't have to go there. Yeah. Uh, I think like younger, younger me, it was very cathartic or like I felt like in order to understand the truth of the universe, I needed to go through these things. Um, mm -hmm. And now I feel like maybe one day I'll watch it, but it's also okay if I you never do. Yeah. 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 If I decide that I am probably okay without knowing everything in that <laughs> yes. regard. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. That's totally fine. Yeah. Because I don't know if it serves me the way that I probably, yeah. Yeah. But we'll see. I might change my mind. Might yeah. fuck around and get existential one day. <laughs> <laughs> the thing for me with BoJack is I felt really seen in the final season. Like, it's just one of those things where the whole fucking show is dark and observational comedy and like, it's, it can be very tiring to be reminded of how the world is or how, you know, the experience can be. But to me, I felt I felt a kind of relief when it was over. But yeah, I think without spoiling BoJack too much, because we don't want to do that accidentally, those listening to this and are like, oh, yeah, that's next on my list of things to watch. Whoops. You know, uh, I just think keeping in mind what serves you is really important. And it's a lesson it took me a while to learn as well. Like I had to stop yeah. listening to certain types of music. There are certain albums I can never revisit because yep. I listened to them at a very traumatic time in my life. And just acknowledging that like that doesn't mean I'm not smart. That doesn't mean mm -hmm. I'm not whatever. Yeah, you know, <laughs> this is such a weird tangent. But in my mid or early 20s, I'd say mid to late 20s, actually, I stopped watching films that were like considered oh, this is like, you know, this is such a great film, but it's like super depressing and blah, blah, blah. I'd be like, yeah. not for me. Or, you know, so I'd pick and choose, you know, here I am talking about Stay and that's a film that came out in, you know, 2008 or something like, anyway, like there's a there's certain films like Closer and like all these films that I used to watch or Brick, Jesus Christ, like these films I would watch when I was very young and, and cry and just be like emotionally broken after. And then 
books too. I would stop reading these like really depressing classics. And then, you know, I'd be at these fucking parties or whatever, these social gatherings where people like, oh, have you read this book? And I'm like, yes, but like fucking ages ago. And no, I'm not going to reread it. And no, I don't want to sit here and talk to you about it because fucking I'm so over it. You know, but that like, that like idea that to be an intellectual, you have to have read these things or done these things or still be consuming this type of media. It's like, mm, no, (laughs) no, I don't have (laughs) to. I don't. Yeah, I don't have to be. I don't have to be. I can still understand the way the world works and functions uh, and study bits and pieces of existentialism without having consumed perpetually looping myself snake eating in right. the tail of my yeah. own grief and my own suffering like i don't have yeah, to do man. that <laughs> it's like cumulative you've already yep. been there you don't have yep. to go back there because you already have the experience and you can move on yeah Ooh, exactly man yeah i really yep. love that i i remember like I, i've talked about how like my very depths of my m- mental struggles a couple of years ago Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I really I str- have struggled with with my life, like you, peeps, is this element of like intelligence, understanding the world, being, you know, ahead of the game. This is true. This is what reality is. This is real life, blah, 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 you know. And I remember and real life is depressing. And yeah, if you're life happy, is depressing. then you exactly. aren't smart enough to know how the world really works. And it's you're like <laughs> ignorant. You're yeah. being willfully ignorant. And yeah. I, I literally at some point. All the smartest <laughs> people are depressed. Exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're if you take a minute to think about it, you'll be depressed, too. And I literally sat there at one point and I was like, who's the fucking smart one now? I can't leave my house. Like, I, yeah, I've basically convinced myself that life isn't worth fucking living. Who's the smart one now? No one's telling me I need to think that way. Who am I trying to, what's the word, impress by my ultimate depression and lack of blah, blah, blah. And I I (laughs) made a decision. I was like, fuck it. If, If being dumb or being perceived as being ignorant or willfully ignorant is the result of me making this decision, then I don't care. Yeah. Like I would rather have some sort of semblance of peace or happiness or just a, a moment of chill <laughs> yeah. and just enjoy some of the stuff that life has to offer. Just like be happy. Like if I could just do that, then fine. Sure. That could be reality. I don't give a shit. Like I'm done with it. I'm done with yeah. reality. If that's what it is, it doesn't serve me. My life is worse. So yeah. I don't care anymore. Yeah, I had, I had a similar experience, like, and for a while, getting myself out of some of the more harrowing parts of my life required some serious fucking work. It was like, yeah. I had to cut out certain, again, certain music I was listening to, certain films I wasn't allowed to watch, like for a long period of time. And even, and and there's like this like perception, like, oh, unless you're listening to really deep, sad music. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Asleep by the Smiths. You don't understand <laughs> suicidal thoughts or ideation or whatever, you know, like. Needle you, in the hay, bitches. Yeah, exactly. The like, <laughs> there's this whole idea that like, if you listen to pop music, you're you're an airhead, you know, and it's like, no, man, this is a fucking bop, you know, like Carly Rae Jepsen. It It makes me gives me life. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm feeling good, and there's nothing wrong with that. Or like forcing myself to get excited about the holidays. Like I, you know, Christmas is a really difficult one for me because of my weird, uh, very strange religious upbringing, and also just like I didn't get to have Christmas, like. It's a long story, but it's a weird one for me. So allowing myself 
I had to trick myself for several years into like, I remember buying my first Christmas tree and being like, oh, Jesus, consumerism and like all this kind of stuff going through yeah. my brain. And I was like, Jesus peeps, just buy the goddamn tree and being like, <laughs> fine. And then I bought the tree that I wanted. And then it's like, you know, and then I'm kind of, you know, decorating it or whatever, and just getting excited about that and allowing myself and it took several years, allowing myself the space to get excited about something without feeling like it treaded on my own intelligence or my perception of the world or how others might perceive me. And I got to be honest with you, learning how to be in touch with my emotions and really experience things with my heart on my sleeve has been very rewarding for me emotionally, but also the biggest struggle has been with dealing with other people's perception of my intelligence. Because man, when you're oh, happy man. and you get giddy and excited and you're easily excitable, boy, do people think you're fucking stupid. Yeah. And the number of times I've had people go, wow, you're so much smarter than I thought you were to me wow. after doing that. Like, <laughs> It's almost like the depression Olympics. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's like people thought I was so I never got that when I was when I was depressed, like openly yeah. depressed and listening to sad music and just, you know, yeah, man, it's so bullshit. It's honestly it's so bullshit. bullshit. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like uh, I remember for the record, I wasn't joking. I fucking love Carly Rae Jepsen. I know. You Come know. at me. I love her so much. She just makes me happy. Her music makes me happy. And when people are like, oh, I can't believe you can listen to that stuff. It's a really, really, really like, get good lyrics if you ever listen to the Smiths. And I'm like, yes, I have spent tons of my life emotionally cutting. Yeah, I would actually like to not do that. So I, and I and I do I agree with you. There is this uh, unbearable and such a faulty way of thinking. And it sometimes it sometimes still catches me, you know, like I still it's still a challenge that I have to this day of of trying not to participate in the depression Olympics in order to yeah. prove that I'm smart and aware of what's happening and that blah, blah, blah. And that just because I listen to Carly Rae Jepsen <laughs> or, you know, like, but I That's think it's it's worth it's worth getting through because honestly, again, at the end of the day, I would ultimately would rather people think that I'm a dumb idiot than to experience this life the way that I experience it when I feel I'm living the truth. I'm yeah. over it. Life's yep. a simulation anyway. Fucking make it up. <laughs> yep. Existentialism <laughs> saved my existence. It's like just the idea that like it's whatever you want to make it. You know, you can however you're perceiving it is exactly right. You perceive it however you want to perceive it. And if you want to get excited about the holidays so that you don't suffer from sads or whatever when the light goes away, great, do that. I'm going to buy a Christmas tree now. I was not sure about it this year because I was feeling really down and I was like, well, I mean, where am I going to put it? Like just having yeah. a Christmas tree. But having a Christmas tree makes me really happy. So you know what? Yeah. I'm The lights gonna... on the tree make me happy too. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, yeah, I like that. And I like the idea of decorating it and stuff like that. So yeah. I will put up my tree if you put up your tree, Mercs. Okay. Let's okay. put up our trees and share okay. pictures. Acorn, are you going to put up a tree? I'll put up a tree. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's such a beautiful moment when you can be like, yeah, I'm having a rough time. Let's all put up a tree. Yeah. Should we wrap up this episode? I feel like yes. we can continue talking about grief and Christmas and depression, <laughs> but we should probably wrap, wrap it up. It. Yep. Um, oh. Listeners, I would just like you to know that I really, 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 really <laughs> like you. And I want you. And I want you. Do you want me to? <laughs> um, on that note, I would like to extend a personal thank you for allowing us this space to feel comfortable enough to talk about this and release an episode like this. Because I got to say, 
I definitely normally would not feel comfortable just putting this out there, but y'all so far have been so compassionate to us and shown us such kindness and love and appreciation with your emails and, you know, like ratings and reviews and all that stuff that we see it all, um, that it feels like it's almost a disservice not to talk about such important things with you in case maybe there's somebody out there listening that needed to talk about it or just hear that they're not alone or to just exist. So thank you for that. It means a lot. Dark kind of brought us all together and we're willing to deep dive about it. And man, it's just great. I look forward to this podcast every week. Yeah, me too. I do too. I love you guys. Love you too. Oh boy. Um, shout outs. So <laughs> shout outs. Yes. Virgils, how about you? Oh geez. Okay. Yeah. Hi, I'm Virgils. Y'all know me from such topics as dad, dad. You're going to have to cut that out. <laughs> actually you know what leave it in um yeah hi i'm mergles i stream on twitch i'm an animator and a storyboard artist as well working in the industry for quite a while now i recently yesterday literally yesterday and the day before spent making a film a 24-hour film i did not finish it in 24 hours don't at me i know but i'm working (laughs) on it again on monday and i should be able to finish it then she said hubristically but it's actually uh, it's pretty cool. So if you're interested in seeing how animated films get made, boy, is that a very condensed version of how they do. So, yeah, you yeah. can check me out on twitch.tv slash Mergles. Awesome. Um, it was really cool. So for those because I know you've been talking about how you've been creating a film. So essentially what she did was she is creating a film normally like Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays on her channel. But this weekend she was like, I'm just going to put that one on hold for a second. We're going to create a whole new film with a 24-hour clock on it. Yeah. Amazing. Go watch it. <laughs> what about you, Phoebe? Yeah, I'm Pumpkinberry or Phoebe. Oh, my God. Please call oh my me God. Phoebe for the rest of my life. Uh, <laughs> you can find me at Twitch and Twitter at Pumpkinberry. You can also find me at Pumpkinberry.tv. Find all the cool stuff that uh, I'm into. I normally shout out Nocturne, which is a show that I wrote. It's like an uh, improv collaborative uh, storytelling game that I wrote but more recently i just finished the second one that i've ever done called gone which i talked about a little bit today you can find that at tablestory.tv slash gone if you want to give that a, a go it's definitely not a horror show but it is about uh loss and identity and go check it out i'm done rambling goodbye if today if our topics of today resonated with you at all and um i feel like dark fans they must resonate with you if you like the show then I think you're really going to love Gone. And I do want to quickly say, like, Peebs, you did such an incredible job. And I want to thank you for your, not only your brilliance and your bravery to, like, continue making it and to, like, allow your creativity and to the vulnerability that comes with that level of creativity and storytelling. And oh, you're going to make me cry. You, you finished it in a way that I felt was incredibly um, honorable and courageous and true. And so I think I think that's something that I just wanted to say to you. It's brilliant. And thank you. Um, everyone should go watch it because it's, I, I've never seen anything like it. Very, very proud of that show. I'm very, yeah. very, very proud. And that's something I usually have difficulty allowing myself is permission to be proud in the things that I'm involved in. So thank you. I'm also proud of this podcast, too. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. you should be proud. It's something worth being proud about. So, yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. And I'm Acorn. You can find my stuff over on joysons.com, J-O-I-S-A-N-S. 
facebook.com slash pages slash acorn. I have all my links over there so you can check them out. But thank you so much for joining us today. I know it was a little bit of a heavy topic, but we hope that you were able to either learn something or find some solace in what we talked about today. If you want to add to the conversation, you can tweet us at Radio Winden. You can also use the hashtag DarkCompanionPod or shoot us an email at DarkCompanionPod at gmail.com. Thanks to Johnny Caballero for letting us use the beautiful cover art for our podcast. Thanks, You can check him out at Johnny Knight, J-H-O-N-Y-K-N-I-G-H-T. And we're very proudly part of the Geek Generation Network, and you can find the rest of our awesome podcasts on the network uh, related to cool, nerdy things over on thegeekgeneration.com. Thank you so much for diving into Dark today. We'll be back next week with episode 15 about Inez. Oh, yeah! Oh, man! (laughs) I'm so ready for this episode. Also, I just have to say, I am metaphorically reaching out and holding both your ladies' hands because I'm, like, terrified to release this episode. Like, all the stuff that we talked about and how vulnerable and it's, like, related to dark, but it's also, like, so personal and I'm just... Yeah, I know. I'm I'm trust falling with all the listeners with you guys and, like, if it were just me, I would can it. But I know it's not. Like, it's the three of us together, so I feel... Yeah. yeah I feel good like I it. said, I'm always thinking about my dad. I want to talk about him all the time. So, yeah. yeah. I feel exposed and vulnerable and scared. But after, I think I'd rather be on the side of Licht. Yeah. Yep. Licht und Schatten. Bye, everybody. Bye.